This is The Top, where I interview entrepreneurs who are number one or number two in their industry in terms of revenue or customer base. You'll learn how much revenue they're making, what their marketing funnel looks like, and how many customers they have. I'm now at $20,000 per talk. Five and six million. He is hell-bent on global domination. We just broke our 100,000 unit soul mark. And I'm your host, Nathan Latka. When I do webinar interviews or I give big speeches to thousands of people all over the world, I usually will talk about data and sometimes show my dashboards, like my SaaS dashboard as I'm growing my SaaS company to top inbox, or my website dashboard, which shows how I take impressions to convert them into email leads and convert them into customers for NathanLacka.com. The funny thing is, guys, I build these dashboards with myself, no developer, and it's basically free, and I use one tool to do it. You can see the tool at nathanlacka.com forward slash analytics. I'll tell you more later in the show. This is episode 668, and coming up tomorrow morning, we learned from Dean Grzyowski how to do his first real estate deal when he was just 18 years old. Now, he shares with me how much money he's doing in total rental income. Here's a hint. It's way above 200 grand per month. Tune in if you're interested in real estate. Good morning, everybody. My guest this morning is Renee Lassert. He's the founder and CEO of Bill.com, the leading business payments company. He's a fintech industry veteran who's been working to simplify business payments since 1999 when he founded PayCycle, which was later acquired by Intuit in 2009. Bill.com is now working to help bridge the digital divide between banks and businesses, partnering with three of the top 10 U.S. banks and 45% of the top 100 accounting firms. He believes that banks play a critical role in the advancements of fintech. Now, while technology advancements in Silicon Valley startups are, divide, are driving much of the industry's change, Renee believes that banks are and will remain squarely at the center of the financial universe for quite some time. Renee, are you ready to take us to the top? You bet. You bet. Now, Thank you for having me. Andy. I'm glad you're on. Andy from the CEO at Wealthfront would disagree with that statement that he believes banks will remain squarely at the center of the financial universe. You know, he told me his model is basically look at what traditional banks are doing, figure out how to do it with robots and put them out of business. You know, I think when it comes to people's money, especially businesses, uh, it's just not the case. I mean, the average transaction we do, we do close to $40 billion a year in money movement. And the average transaction is seventeen hundred uh, to two thousand dollars, and that amount of money is just a significant amount of money for both parties being involved. And uh, the bank's a significant factor in helping uh, businesses actually transact. And businesses are going to go to their banks for loans. And uh, I think there's ways to help banks. There's ways to uh, disintermediate. But I think for the most part, when it comes to this type of volume that we're talking about, banks are going to be involved. Now, I'm going to want to go back, guys, in this interview, and Renee and I are going to talk about his first success, which was PayCycle, 1999, which he sold to Intuit. But first, I want to just tease you a little bit more with what he's currently working on. So, Renee, describe kind of the business model at Bill.com. What do you do? You mentioned transaction volume, and how do you make money? So, we make, we make doing business really easy. So, we automate the back office for uh, businesses. We automate their payables. We automate their receivables. Uh, and the way we do that is we kind of take all the paper. We take all the workflow. We take all the payments. And we take all the integration with the accounting software and we put that into a simple, seamless app that's accessible on your phone or you know, obviously from any web device. So, um, and what that means is we have a subscription model for businesses. So, depending on how many users they have, they're going to pay a subscription fee. And then they pay us transactional fees for whether it's a paper payment, because believe it or not, they're still, you know, when a customer comes to us, 95% of their payments are paper based. 
uh, and we're able to move that to you know probably 35 to 40 percent over the course of the first six to 12 months. So uh, electronic payments are cheaper, but we do both paper and electronic payments and have subscription fees. And if so I if, if I split out your your revenue model here, uh, which one of those are bigger in terms of is it the SaaS model making you more money or the the the, the fees? Yeah, the, the subscription model is the kind of the core uh, revenue business model that drives business. Okay, and just for curiosity, because this is, will be easy to compare to others in terms of fees that you take on money processed, uh, what do you take on average? So the thing that's really, uh, I think, nice about what we do and pretty helpful for business because the dollar amounts are so large is we charge 49 cents for an electronic payment, period. That's it? That's it. Interesting. Okay, good. So you're... So, and we charge $1.49 for a paper check. So it just kind of depends on you know whether the customer is able to get their vendors to join our network. And we have over 2 million entities that are in our network now that use us to pay and get paid. Now, when you say 2 million entities in your network, are those 2 million SaaS, people, like SaaS subscribers paying you monthly? Are those customers or just users? Or Those are uh, probably the best way to think of it is, is users. They're, you know, all of our businesses invite their businesses in. Um, uh, to to collaborate, so it's not the paying customers; it's the the entities that they're paying. Yep. No, I uh, one of the things I love about the fintech space that I'm very jealous of, and I'm jealous of you, is that you have kind of a natural viral coefficient built in, and that if someone says you know is using Bill and they're sending an invoice or whatever a check or to somebody else that doesn't use you, it's a natural viral coefficient. Exactly. Yeah. No, the, it, that grows every year, uh, and it grows very, you know, quickly. So it's a it's a nice, nice part of our business model. Well, good. Well, let's dive. Uh, and, and real quick, actually, before I dive back to more in your history, is the company bootstrapped, or have you raised capital to date? It it, it is it is not. Uh, we. I mean, I, each company I did start uh, probably for the first year with money in my back pocket. Uh, but then we moved uh, quickly into you know raising capital, and so this one we have about 110 million from venture capital in the company over the last 10 years. So that's a teaser. Let's go back now. T take me to 1999. How old were you in 1999? Uh, I would have been 32. Okay. And was that your first shot? You're stepping up to the plate. That's your first swing at doing your own thing or what? You know, I, I worked at Intuit beforehand. So I worked there for five years. Uh, I launched a couple of products and and managed a couple of the businesses there, the uh, bill payment business, the card business that we had, and the payroll business. So I had some experience of innovating products for Intuit, which you know, in and of themselves were um, you know, businesses for the company, but they, it wasn't the same as kind of managing and running all of it on your own and, and feeling all the, the weight and all the all the um, you know the responsibility to actually make something happen. So, so uh, I grew up in a family of entrepreneurs. Dad and granddad each had multiple, many businesses in their life. So I grew up around that. But tell me about first. one of them. So you know the one that uh, the last one my grandfather had was a company that uh, did automatic data processing, which they eventually sold to automatic data processing ADP. Uh, they did. Uh, that seems like a good landing spot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they did. They did general ledgers. They did payroll. They did a lot of this, you know, the things that I've actually done in my career. Uh, so I kind of grew up around that. And back the night I was born, my mom was sorting punch cards uh, for the largest defense contractor in D.C. Uh, that was doing a payroll job. So fascinating. So I mean, that the ADP stuff that your grandfather was doing was that digitized and if so he must have been right at the beginning i mean because the internet was just <laughs> being born yeah yeah well actually it was it would have been 1960 that he started investing he, my grandfather could, you know he had lots of businesses from farming the stores to car dealerships 
Uh, and the last one uh, was really around, you know, this data processing. So he took his profits from doing citrus in Central Florida and threw it into data processing. And then my dad uh, opened up uh, and ran a couple of those businesses for him up in D.C. And uh, that was, you know, what I was born into in the 60s. Did so, you go to college? I did. I did. Interesting. I asked that because you come from a family of entrepreneurs. I was curious if they kind of supported that or if you kind of just skipped that entirely. You know, dad was uh, pretty, you know, he actually ended up going back to college. So he went and worked for his dad and started this business in D.C. And then uh, eventually really felt he needed that experience. So he went back to college, got his undergraduate and got his, his MBA from Wharton um, and did it at night. And so I think he always felt like we should just get the education because there's just a lot of value in education. So, and then, proven true. Yeah. When you fast forward uh, now to, to pay cycle, um, there's a lot of folks that listen into this show who are in a corporate environment and are looking at spinning something out. And many times they say, Nathan, I know the company just needs this. I can't get the resources to do it. I should just go build it myself and then flip it to them. Is that how you came up with the idea of pay cycle? How'd it work? You know, it was, uh, we had, there, there was no concept of flipping it to Intuit when we started. Um, it was, you know, the idea was uh, there's got to be a better way to take advantage of technology to make payroll easier. Um, you know, there was uh, some confidence that we knew how to build and, and develop solutions that customers, you know, would enjoy and like and find value in. And so it was more just looking at the landscape and seeing what was possible and knowing that Intuit didn't have the capacity at that point to invest the way I wanted to invest. Just from a human perspective or a financial perspective or what? Uh, it just wasn't a focus yet. Got it. So right. what was PayCycle? What did it do? Uh, it did online payroll. That's it. So just online payroll. We, yeah. And so we, you know, bill.com, we, I would say are defining, helping define a category around automating the back office. Uh, pay cycle, uh, was not defining a category of payroll. ADP and paychecks did that. We were just doing online payroll and we started with household payrolls, which Intuit did not want to do at all. Uh, and then we moved into serving accounts and small businesses, uh, which Intuit did want to do, but it took them, you know, they didn't start doing anything on the internet really until 2007, I think, when it yeah. came to payroll. So, you know, it just, it, they, it wasn't going to become a priority for them for a long time. And I just was anxious to try something. And, and by the way, it was 1999. If you were going to go and leave a very nice paying <laughs> job, that was a time that seemed like a good time to do it. So yeah. I was lucky that, you know, it worked out because, uh, it was a hard time. I, you know, I raised a lot of capital for that business. How too, much? And, uh, we raised just under 50 for that okay. one. Okay. And what did you, I'm curious, uh, what, what salary did you give up at Intuit to say, you know what, I'm going to depart from this and go take a risk? You know, if you were looking at, you know, the options and everything that was kind of outstanding, my career was growing and accelerating, uh, you know, easily, uh, you know, three to $400,000 a year. Yeah. Is probably what I, and when you... Um, when you so you give up, you do pay cycle. You grow out. You raise fifty million dollars. You build it over a decade. Into it comes to you. Decide to sell it. Um, what'd you sell it for? We sold it for one hundred and seventy million. And was that like uh, you know was there an earnout in there? Was it or was it all cash or cash plus stock and earnout or what? Yeah, it was. It was all cash. And you know, we sold in two thousand nine, which was kind of the bottom of the recession, right? So that's why it's impressive. Um, 
So yeah, it was a very, very strong outcome financially for the investors and, and for the company and the customers. I mean, it, you know, it was a, it was a good outcome. I had already left the day-to-day -day pace cycle start build in 2006. So I was a board member and I was an active board member, but um, it really was kind of up to the management team and, um, and you know, the board supported their decision. So. That's great. That's really great. So for, let's fast forward now to Bill.com and go back to where we kind of started the conversation. So you said you've raised, obviously, $120 million bucks. You're focused on automating, really digitizing the back end of, of business in general. Help us understand. You said you had 2 million users. How many, how many folks are paying you? How many customers are you serving? Um, so we actually don't disclose that number uh, for lots of reasons. Um, so come on, Renee, uh, give me a range, a big range. <laughs> the, the more vague you want to be, the bigger the range you give. Uh, you know, I, I, it just it's a slippery slope. So yeah. better not be disclosed. That's so. okay. So, but to, we, we can go I, from I the. I say that we have a, a very very large customer base that lets us see what's going on in the economy at large, and we you know we know um, you know based on the fact that we have you know. Lots and lots of customers in every state and every segment and every industry. Uh, we just know a lot about how small business and business is done. Yep, uh, makes a lot of sense. Uh, I mean, we can kind of use the two million a user number and assume some portion of that is obviously makes up your paying customer base. Um, pulling that forward, though, you have an interesting insight because you have such a large data set uh, into the SMB space. How do you deal with things like gross customer churn every month? You know, for us, uh, if we get a customer active. And get them using it. They don't churn. Define active so, though, Renee, because that's a really critical tipping point. Yeah. So active would be that they've actually paid a bill, they've loaded a document, they've done uh, a sync with an accounting package. If they do any of those three things, for the most part, they don't leave us. Interesting. You know, and when I say most part, I mean like well over ninety percent, right? If they sign up and then they don't do any of those things, and in particular, if they don't get the sync done or don't get a payment done. Um, you know, then within 90 days, you know, we might lose 20% of them. And uh, what are those, give me a, give me a sense of the commitment they're making to you financially. What are they, like you mentioned, you're, you're obviously a monthly kind of payment. What's the average customer paying you per month? Uh, the average customer is paying us around a hundred dollars a month. Okay. So not a huge commitment. No. And actually they start off smaller than that. Uh, because they're just paying for subscription fees and then transactions are just kind of paying a la carte, right? So in the first month, you can try it risk-free if you don't sign up. If you don't want to continue, you don't pay us anything. So. And what is the, uh, by the way, I, I want to pull this lesson out for a second because there's a lot of SaaS folks I talk to who just focus on churn and they assume a sign-up occurs just when someone puts their information in a website form versus saying, no, they're not really a customer until they do these activation steps. And so guys, I would really encourage you guys to do, obviously what Renee has done and understand what steps you need to get users to take to make them very, very sticky. Um, Renee, how do you handle folks, like name one or two tactics you're using from sign-up date to activation date to get them to do the things you know they need to do to stick? Well, yeah, I think the, you know, it's amazing what SaaS tools have become available, right? But, um, you know, the marketing team, the sales team have a ton of automation tools to engage customers, to let them know what they need to do next specifically, um, we have, you know, obviously the sales team is reaching out to their leads to make sure that they got everything they need. Um, you know, we do a bunch of stuff, uh, a bunch of A-B testing on how we onboard customers. So every month we're learning how to get more customers to actually engage. And so it's just, you know, people assume, a lot of times people will assume, God, it's going to be so much work. And when they find out that it's like less than 15 minutes to actually 
get up and going and sync with your accounting software and to start paying all your bills and they no longer have to print checks and they no longer have to you know, worry about how to communicate with their vendors or their employees about it, they're just blown away, right? But you just have to get them believing that. Um, and so engaging is the, the key thing there. And are you adding, we call it more or less than 2,000 new active businesses every month? Oh, yeah, yeah. Are we talking like tens of thousands? I'm trying to get a general idea of growth, like tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, 10,000? Uh, well, it also, again, it kind of depends on, you know, so our... our um, Paying customer versus those nodes, um, you know, there's an order of magnitude difference between the two. But you know, well, can are. we if we talk about active users, that's a good term to use, right? You guys use that in turn, yeah. okay? Yeah. So tens of thousands. Uh, you know, again, excellent question. I wish I, you guys I, could I, see Renee's uh, face. I'm trying, guys. <laughs> I'm pushing him. I'm trying. <laughs> but we'll say this. Listen, he said definitely yes to 2,000. So they're adding more than 2,000 new active businesses <laughs> per month. We'll leave it at that. Um, let's move forward, uh, Greg, in terms of, uh, in terms of uh, or sorry, Renee, in terms of activation and, and, and acquiring new customers that you think have a good chance of activating, what are you spending on paid acquisition each month? And, and back into CAC that way if you can yeah so the, the main thing that we track is you know how many months uh, is the payback and so uh, you know I kind of gave you you know our targets around $100 in revenue and you know our payback depending on the channel depending and we have three different ways that we go to market we go to market through accounts we go to market through banks we go to market direct um, okay. also in addition to banks we have a great partnership with Intuit where we are uh, just in the process of becoming embedded inside of QuickBooks Online. Oh great. And so uh, anyways our payback target is you know somewhere between 10 and 15 months um, and generally we hit that. So, so call it CAC is between a grand and 1500 depending on the channel that'll go higher or lower. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A lot of people miss this. There's a lot of people I hear they'll talk about oh our LTV to CAC ratio is great and I say well what's it what's the time though on that ratio and they say well it takes 24 months and I'm going yeah you're gonna have a huge cash gap problem. Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you gotta you gotta watch cash, and you gotta. I mean, that's one of the things I learned from dad and granddad is cash is king, and stretch out the payables and pull in their shables. And if you don't really understand how to do that, yeah, you you will be at a disadvantage in growing your business. And looking at some of your cohort analysis, what do you assume the average lifetime value of one of your customers are? Well, the thing is, is uh, you know, we assume you know well over five years, but we don't actually know because you know the data is just growing so fast, and you know we expect that. You know, customers will last longer. So we've had some customers obviously been in market now for maybe eight years, and you know that cohort is very, very strong. And so it just it was very small, right? So, um, so you know, we don't we don't know. We know yep. it's at least five years. Yep. Um, talking about cash. So your last round, I think, if my research team did this properly, back was April 2015, a 30 million dollar venture round, which is actually followed super close to your your Series F, I think, for 50 million in February that same year. Are those both accurate? Uh, not exactly. Okay. So uh, the, the we raised uh, thirty plus twenty of debt, which is that's why it gets to fifty. Um, that's Silicon Valley so, Bank. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the thirty was um, was uh, was effectively. I mean, April was a little bit late. It was actually uh, a few months earlier than that, but that's fine. Got it. So that thirty was actually part of the series of fifty, and twenty of it was the venture debt. Correct. Got it. Okay. So here's my question to you. This was 2015, and you look at funding cycles. You're right now, as you look at me through your Skype video, you are either raising another round or you're selling your company to Intuit for a lot of money. Which one is it? 
uh, you know, I'm, I'm so focused <laughs> on just making this happen for businesses. Yeah. And so I actually don't think about exits. And so, uh, you know, from a raising around perspective, uh, I've all, you know, my strategy has always been to just maintain strong relationships with the venture community. And if I need capital, I, I, you know, I do the job and get it done. So I'm not raising around right now, but I have the connections. And if we need more capital, I'm not worried about raising it. So. Awesome. Good stuff. Team size. Where are you guys at right now? We're at 225 employees. Where are you guys based? Uh, Palo Alto. Everyone? Uh, you know, uh, no, we got we have people. Uh, we have some support teams and sales teams across the country. That's great. And then just remind everyone again, timeline wise, what year did you launch Pill.com in? Uh, we launched in 2008. Uh, uh, probably June it was when we put our first customers on it. Uh, in kind of a pilot phase for the next uh, six months. So by the end of 2008, right when the recession was you know, kicking in. Great time to start uh, a we, business. <laughs> great time to actually start throwing money at marketing. I see a trend, Renee. 1999, yeah. 2008, you like downturns. Apparently. apparently. <laughs> Not bad. Last question I've got for you before we wrap up. You have something interesting here in that you have a massive data set of financial technology data specifically tied to SMBs. A lot of banks, Dodd-Frank, et cetera, are very tight in terms of credit. And they miss a lot of opportunities just because they're so risk averse. Um, do you have any product that because of the data set you have, um, where you can lend to people uh, because uh, you feel good about the again the data you have that other banks might pass over lending to that same small business. Uh, so we do not sell anything today. We have not partnered with anybody today. But I look at our data, and we have you know plenty of lending partners that would like to get access to our data. Plenty of banks that would like it. And our focus is on building out and solving the pain point that you know that we know how to solve, which is. Uh, really kind of the back office and, and really helping people automate their, their payments and making payables and shootables really, really simple. So uh, that said, uh, we will, I would imagine someday in the future, we will do something with that to help other people do the lending that they want to be able to do. So. Like I told you guys at the top of this episode, I have amazing data and you guys know from my interview style, I love data. But what I love more than data is making it actionable via beautiful dashboards that I can view on my phone, on my TVs in my living room, or even on my laptop as I'm traveling. And the company that I use to create these dashboards, which pulls in data from my Libsyn backend, my Google Analytics backend, Salesforce, and other data sources is called Clipfolio. You can see an example executive dashboard or my social media command center or my web metrics dashboard at nathanlacka.com forward slash analytics. That's nathanlacka.com forward slash analytics. And you can try it there for free for three months. It's Clipfolio. You can try it free for three months. Everybody else has to pay. So you get it free for three months. Alan's a good friend. He's the CEO of the company. He came on the show. I said, I love your product. Can I feature it? So NathanLacka.com forward slash analytics. Go check it out now. All right. There you guys have it from Renee. Renee, let's wrap up here with the famous five. Number one, what's your favorite business book? Uh, you know, I'd say the uh, it's a combination of the, the four obsessions of extraordinary executives and the advantage written by the same guy, Patrick Lagione. Number two, is there a CEO that you're following or studying currently? You know, I'm pretty fortunate. Uh, one of our investors is the founder and CEO of Check Free, Pete Kite. So he and I have gotten to be pretty good friends. But he's advised me. Uh, What's his Bill name, Campbell. Renee? Uh, his name is Pete Kite. Pete Kite. Yeah. Okay. So he sold Check Free to Pfizer for you know close to four billion dollars, and 
wonderful, wonderful person. But anyways, that, you know, being a payments guy and just, you know, grew it over 30 years, he just has that founder, long-term CEO. And that, that's actually one of the things that's hard to find uh, with folks is somebody that's been from day one all the way to the last day. Well, and we lost a good one with Bill. What was a big lesson you took from him? Uh, you know, just being direct. You know, he, he, he could tell you um, very clearly that you, uh, that you fucked up uh, and, you wouldn't, <laughs> and you wouldn't feel bad about it. You would feel like, yeah, I guess I did. I'll do better next time. And, and he just had a way of doing that. And that's one that I've tried to, to learn from and, and you know, still I'm trying to learn how to give people that type of direct feedback in a way that is not personal, but is your, yeah, very constructive. So. Number three, is there a favorite online tool you have, obviously besides your own? Yeah, so it, obviously Bill.com would be the, the thing that I would say, just from a time saving, it does actually help me save a lot of time. Uh, but you know, the whole thing that Google's doing with Google Docs is really helpful. Uh, we use it across the company and, and it's just great for iterating and you know, doing all the work that we need to do um, that, that you, know, you do to actually run a company. So. Number four, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? Uh, six to seven. Okay, so not bad. And uh, what's your situation? Married, single, you have kiddos? I've got uh, married and have two kids, 14 and 12. Yeah. So they have their own businesses yet? Uh, they don't. Though. They they do ask questions all the time. So I just keep <laughs> I keep giving it whatever learning. The, you know, the dinner table MBA. Can't stress this enough for those. That That's are, a book. Actually, Holy, you need to trademark is. that. Holy mackerel. <laughs> that is a book. It's it's true though. It's like you learn so much, and and I learned a lot as a kid, and that's something that uh, that you know I try to do with the kids. So hopefully they're learning as well. And and how old are you today? Uh, I'll be 50 this year. That's great. So take us back 30 years, Renee. What do you wish your 20-year-old self knew? You know, I would say don't stress over the hard decisions. You know, they in, in the end, they all pale in comparison to everything that you do. Like every day, there's, there's reasons to stress. And, uh, you know, I think as you get older, you learn to have that perspective. Uh, but especially around hard decisions, like if you feel like you need to make a pivot or you feel like you need to change somebody out in the organization or you feel like... Uh, you know, you want to go and do something different, you know, don't stress about it. You know, we're, we're humans adapt and they adapt very well. So just move on and make the decision. Uh, stress is not the thing that, that gets you there. There you guys have it from Renee, CEO of Bill.com. Don't stress over the hard decisions. Eventually they all pale. He started back in, again, when he was 32 years old, 1999 with PayCycle, raised 50 million bucks in 2009, sold that for $170 million in cash to Intuit. Then ended up launching uh, on the back of that uh, new company, Bill.com, over $120 million raised, about 230 employees there in Palo Alto, focused on saving businesses, small businesses, time. Their average ARPU is about 100 bucks per month, saving them time on all their backend uh, related items 2016 over 40 billion dollars uh, in purchase in in uh, i guess money processed average volume is 1700 bucks to 2000 per transaction over 2000 users renee you have your you have your pulse on the small business market thank you for taking us to the top thank you nathan i appreciate it all right good luck everybody if you enjoyed renee today go back and listen yesterday to laurent demol i asked him how the startup was able to recruit him away from PayPal. Now his company, the startup he joined is called PayU. They've passed $180 million in revenue and he's now growing their financial services arm. Tune in to find out how to recruit rock stars like Laurent to your startup. 
It would mean the world to me if you guys got any value from this episode, if you would go leave a review on iTunes right now and then subscribe. You know, I hustle like heck to get these episodes out every freaking day for you guys. And trust me, I love it. I would do it with no listeners, but boy, oh boy, it makes my day and it makes my team's day when we see great reviews and get your feedback. So thanks so much. Okay, Top Tribe, I love giving away free money. I feel like Oprah giving away cars and I have something special for you today. How many of you have heard our super sharp guests talk about success they've had with Facebook and Google ads? Well, all of you listening right now, yes, if you're listening, you get $100 in free AdWords. Here's how you get it, okay? Again, thanks for listening. Get the free $100 from Google, right, when you sign up with my website host provider, HostGator. Go sign up now to get your free money. HostGator.com forward slash Nathan. Again, that's HostGator.com forward slash Nathan.